This is Postcards from Grafton. We're exploring the most fascinating people and places in our community and everything in between. I am your host, Fred Backstrom, librarian at the Grafton Midview Public Library. This podcast is made possible by the Grafton Village History Association. Today, we are speaking with Jared Smith of Carlisle Township, author of the book, Just a Place to Stay Out of the Rain, A History of the Lorain County Infirmary, 1868 to 1967, and lifetime Carlisle resident. For nearly a century, the infirmary was one of the few places in the county that supported the poor and the homeless. You can find Jared's book here at the Grafton Midview Public Library to borrow, and if you are interested in learning more about the infirmary, I highly recommend it. Also, Carlisle Township is celebrating its bicentennial this year with several special events in the fall. On Friday, September 10th, there is a family festival with food, music, pioneer demonstrations, activities, and more. On Saturday, October 8th, and Sunday the 9th, you can explore historical photo displays and audio presentations. Visit carlisletownship.com for complete details, locations, and hours. Our history matters, our community matters. Enjoy the stories. Hi, Jared. Thanks for being here with with me today to talk a little bit about the... um, Good morning. Yeah, the Lorraine County Infirmary. Yes. So why don't you um, introduce yourself a little bit and tell me why you uh, why you're interested in the infirmary? What what got you into it? Um, what got you to write your book about it? Sure. My name is Jared Smith. Um, uh, I uh, grew up in. I was born in Carlisle Township, and this is basically a book uh, about Carlisle Township and uh, events. And a place that uh, um, was was built and uh, uh, was no but is no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got my own personal relationship with the infirmary. Um, I remember as a child, my mother telling me about uh, about a place where people went when they were broke and uh, they had no place to stay. You know, she told me that uh, her mother had told her, who was my grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, that, that she knew someone who lived there back in the early 1900s uh, because, once again, they had no place to, to go. Um, so when I was thinking about writing a book about the infirmary, I remember those words. I remember uh, when I was thinking about a title for my book, I remembered the words of a family member, of a former resident, who told me what was said on a visit at the infirmary. The family member said, I know I've made mistakes in my life and living here, I guess it's just what I get, just a place to stay out of the the rain. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in my teens, I had some friends that lived out on Murray Ridge Road where the infirmary was located. And I remember driving past the uh, building when I went to their house. Um, That was about the time when the infirmary was closing. It was in the 60s. And I remember the building looking old and, and dark and uh, lifeless. Uh, then I graduated from high school and went away to college and friends and I separated. When I graduated from college uh, with a degree in criminal justice, criminal, criminal justice and corrections, I got a job as a probation officer with Lorain County Juvenile Court. Uh, by that time, the infirmary had closed, but the infirmary's former medical which I'll probably talk about a little bit later, uh, was still usable. And it was actually converted into a group home for delinquent boys. Well, at that time, a good friend of mine, the probation department, was promoted and was named the uh, group home's first director. And he was tasked with coming up for a name for the group home. And he asked me for my assistance. And one night we were sitting around after a couple of beers. And uh, um, I suggested that since we're talking about getting people back into the community again, uh, let's call it Stepping Stone. And where we got Stepping Stone from was an old <laughs> song from the 60s from a, a band called Paul Revere and the Raiders. A little and, inspiration uh, there. A little <laughs> inspiration. So anyhow, so that was then. We're talking in the 70s at this point. Now, about 20 years ago, I became active with the Carl Township Historical Society. And sure, uh, sure. I've always had a love for history. Mm. And then, so one day I started thinking about the infirmary. I don't know how it popped into my head. And I thought about what my mother told me. I thought about those days driving past it at night and in the daytime. And I thought about um, 
writing a book about it. Sure, sure. So I um, started to research it. Took me about five years of research and and writing. Uh, there was times when I gave up. Uh, then it, then again, there was times where I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and think about something and fire the computer up, start typing away, and my wife would come in and look at me and, "What are you doing?" Well, I'm doing what I always do. And yeah, okay, and publish the book. So, so yeah, I, you know, I've written this book, and and you know. One would wonder how I ever got to the point of writing a book. And the reason I say that is when I was in high school, I was, I'm a very intelligent person, but in, in high school, I did not apply myself, but I was not a very good student. I might have, I might have the smarts, but my application was, was pretty poor. And uh, somewhere around maybe my sophomore year in high school, uh, Unbeknownst to me, my father, who was also an amateur historian, mm. and I mean, we would spend our, our, our summers going on vacations and, and we would go to different Civil War battlefields and my father would take us and show us what happened here. And once again, he was a, a student of history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I didn't know it, but my father was called into Elyria High School to the uh, guidance counselor's office. And he, the guidance counselor asked my father to come in so I could be spoken to about my grades. Because at <laughs> the time, I was failing three subjects. Uh -oh. I was failing math, I was failing English, and I was failing history. So my father's there. I'm brought into the office, and I knew I was in trouble when I saw him there. <laughs> and the guidance counselor told my father that, that you know your son's got the potential, but he's not living up his potential. He's failing these three things. He's failing math. He's failing English. He's failing history. My father, <laughs> my father said, my father was not happy about failing math because he was also not only a historian, but he was well versed in in bookkeeping and accounting. <laughs> uh, wasn't real happy about my failing English because. How can you fail? <laughs> but the fact that I was failing history, my father, that's where he got the most upset. And he looked at me and he said, how can you be failing history? You don't have to do anything. It's already happened. <laughs> and uh, he's yeah. right. I didn't have to do it. It all has already happened. Here I am at this point now. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, years later, I've, I've written a book. I've yeah. written a history You've book. written a history book. <laughs> and uh, I... I think of those words, those, those words of my father echoes through my mind. How can, how can you fail history? It's already happened. You don't have to do anything. Because <laughs> that, that inspiration, that memory from when you're, what your mom said, kind of, it always stuck with you. You always remember what your mother always, said. Always, always. <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing too. And that, that way you can like preserve that important, that part, especially if, because it was that one building that was left. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Good to remember those things and and hopefully pass that on to people who are coming into Carlisle or Lorain County yeah. now and don't know about those things and, and what that kind of place meant. Uh, how was it? Do you know or can you tell me more about like how it was founded or, or why it was founded? Like what was the need and I guess in the community that 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 drove them to create yeah, this kind uh, of place? You know, the, 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 the story about the infirmary. It was important because, you know, it was a part of history that only history re remembered. Mm. Uh, the people that were were there were basically the forgotten ones. Sure, they were pushed aside by their neighbors and and pushed aside by their family, even if they had any. And even the communities in which they lived, in this case, Carlisle, back in the early eighteen hundreds, um, the townships had a public officials who were called overseers of the poor mm. and it was their job to keep a struggling young township that didn't have a lot of money financially sound sure and they felt that um and kind of a, and as embarrassing as this is 
they felt that they could not uh, take care of their own. And so sure. the overseers, overseers of the poor would uh, have the township constable go out and give the individuals warning to, to leave. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, it was a, a situation where um, people didn't, didn't care that, you know, they were, people were pushed out sure, and, sure. um, I guess that's why I felt that somebody had to tell the story. Yeah. So I guess it was me. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing to know. I mean, it's, it's almost sort of that, or that early welfare of the community that the infirmary was trying to, or the creation of it was trying to address. I mean, we still see the need for that today. So it, yeah. it certainly resonates still today with, with, with the problems. So, yeah, so the infirmary was built, um, you know, I still call it the infirmary. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will call it a county home. Some people sure. call it the poor house. Sure. And actually, it was a working poor farm. It gave the homeless of the time, it gave them a place to lay their head, stay warm, food, and safety. Sure. And... Um, not a lot of those places at that time. Was no, there? no, no, no. And you said it was because um, it was also like sort of like a working farm almost too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was set on about 153 acres That's on Murray big. Ridge Road. It actually mm. sat where today uh, the Lorraine County Jail is and the mm. Lorraine County Sheriff's Office is on the same property. And that's where the, the medical building is. It's still standing. It's it's fallen apart. Mm. It's... Uh, not in very good shape, but I've mentioned to a couple of commissioners uh, in my meetings with them that um, when the day comes to uh, that it needs to be torn down, tell me about it. Sure. If you could let me know in advance, because there's something that they need to know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of what kind of thing do they need to know? <laughs> what they what they need to know is in the in the medical building there in the northeast corner. Uh, it's a red brick building. In the mm-hmm. northeast corner is a sandstone cornerstone. It's uh, got an engraving of it says 1930. Mm-hmm. And inside that cornerstone is a document mm-hmm. that the commission, the building commissioners who oversaw the construction of it uh, placed inside it. And what it is, is it's a, uh, it details the history of care and ah. care for the poor and the aged. Mm-hmm. Uh, through times, and it's a very profound statement. I, when in in my research, I found a newspaper paper article in the Luria, I think it was the Luria Republican at oh, the yeah. time, mm-hmm. and it actually contained the entire text of that document that's in the letter, yeah. and that's in the, I'll call it, it a time capsule. In, yeah, in the in the cornerstone yeah. up there. Yeah, yeah. It's I, a lot of old buildings. They used to do that, so. Yeah, so, I think they definitely yeah. need to uh, be aware of that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's one of those little bits and pieces of, uh, of history that should keep around. Do you know why they located it uh, where it was on Murray Ridge? Well, at that time, uh, you know, the county was growing. Elyria was the county seat. Mm-hmm. And the commissioners wanted... Uh, one, uh, to, to be central to, to, to the county, which Carlisle Township is, and where that's that location true. is also. Uh, two, um, they wanted to, to be near, to be accessible by roads, mm-hmm. um, in which you have Route 20 to the south, you got 113 to the north, Murray Ridge, the road that the infirmary sat on, links the, the two of them. Um, they actually had to build a road from Elyria to the infirmary, which happens to be called Infirmary, Infirmary Road. Road, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was built to transport a lot of the individuals who uh, had been court ordered to the infirmary. Yeah, sent from the city or something like that. Sure. But most importantly, there was land. Space. The, yeah. the commissioners knew that they would have to pay for it, and uh, they felt a working farm would be able to subsidize the costs so I was I was wondering like how was that funded or like how was yeah. it so it was from the working farm well itself, it was from, and, yeah, and, and it from was, local monies it I was from working farm local monies and you know through the history of the infirmary there's several other funding streams that actually came into play mm. um, 
in the 1930s, uh, when Social Security was passed, uh, there was there was funding there that went to the individuals um, who, in turn, turned it over to, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. to the uh, to the infirmary to pay for for their keep for their own. Yeah, uh, sure. heck, there was one there was one instance I I, I read about where a uh, a uh, they call them inmates. I call them residents, <laughs> but uh, who had mm -hmm. kind of wandered off, and he uh, uh, was on Russia Road to the south. Sure, sure. And he was actually hit by an automobile, and um, the insurance company in settled with the in individual for a a dollar amount, which at that point was also turned over to the infirmary. Mm -hmm. So the poor guy got hit. He doesn't get compensated because it goes to the infirmary. Exactly, because that's where he was. So yeah, yeah. so. Um, Anything they could do, they they did what they could to get. They did what they could. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those kind of organizations still do that to this day. So. Yeah, and being Have a, to, yeah. and being a working farm, you know, they they the the land on Murray Ridge Road is very fertile and mm -hmm. good sandy loam soil. Mm -hmm. um, it was great for raising vegetables, fruits. So those were sold. Those were actually used by the infirmary, you know, mm -hmm, to sure. pay, to feed the. Uh, uh, residents, but it's also sold off, and I think it was in 19, uh, 1913 where the infirmary was actually the fourth largest uh, potato grower in the in Lorain County. Wow, in the so, county, yeah, so they did pretty good. They did well with wheat. Mm -hmm. uh, they had cattle and dairy, mm. um, dairy cattle and chickens and pigs and everything else, yeah. and it was a self sustaining operation. Almost had to be, yeah, in a lot of ways. Those those kind of organizations. Uh, so it started in uh, just post Civil War, right? No, actually, yeah, it, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Well, you know, the, the concept of poor houses and poor farms actually originated in England in yes. the 1700s. Uh, back then, they were called alms houses, mm -hmm. and actually, the first poor house in the United States was in Philadelphia. So, as populations went west. Mm -hmm. The concept also followed yeah. along, and actually in Ohio, uh, in there was a poorhouse or a poor farm in every one of the eighty-eight counties in the state. Really, um, right now in in Wood County up by Bowling Green, mm -hmm. the Wood County Historical Society a couple of years ago uh, had a, a several-year project where they researched every infirmary in the state of Ohio. And they've got a beautiful exhibit that's going on. If you get a chance oh, wow. to get to Wood County, and that exhibit is in the Wood County Infirmary. Oh, which is really cool. That is great. Yeah. So. Preserve that history in its own yeah. location. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Lorraine County is a part of the... Uh, part of the exhibit? Part of the exhibit also. Excellent. So you said it was... Um, Kind of started as almost like what would be called like a poor house or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Did it ever change or was it mainly people who might be homeless or destitute or something like that? Or did it become more, because I know sometimes those become places for um, people who have mental illness and, and struggles with that as well. It started off as a, a place to house the poor mm -hmm. and, and those in need. Uh, at the time, um, uh, and yes, it did. It did expand like everything else. It it was a place where, um, <laughs> and I see this in my work today too, in the relationships between mm -hmm. uh, the mental health and the developmental disabilities um, groups. You know, who's whose is this? Who's is, that's your responsibility? Mm -hmm. No, that's your responsibility. So it it did in some ways become a catch all. And because of that, actually, there was times where they had to expand and even add on to the infirmary uh, additional residences. And they also built a, a structure, a house that had, had no doors at ground level. And the only, mm -hmm. ac only access to the building was a covered bridge from the main building. This was the insane building, what they call the insane. And that's where those with mental health issues, epileptics, mm -hmm. uh, the what they call the mental mentally retarded, uh, that's where they found themselves. They sure. were again. There's another population here shunned. 
Yeah, exactly. Know, outcast, one more yeah. outcast. Yeah. And um, yeah, well, you know, as you went across that covered covered bridge and entered into the uh, insane ward, the first room that you entered there was what they call the surgical room. And mm. just you can leave that to your own imagination. Yeah. Um, at the back of the room was a large iron walled gate. And through that gate were on both floors. It was a two-story building uh, with a basement. Mm -hmm. uh, you had the men on one level and the women on the other. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was segregated by gender. And you had uh, about six rooms on, on each side of the corridor uh, with a wooden bench sitting outside each, each one. And uh, inside the, the cell was a bed that was suspended from the walls with it was an iron bed and suspended by chain. Uh, now, not a real exciting place, but uh, so you had the females on one floor, the males on the other. In the basement, you had a boiler room and you had a cobbler shop and you had a hmm. room called the dead room. And hmm. that's actually where the caskets were, were stored and for, hmm. for use because sure. people did die at the infirmary. Yeah, it's, it's, unfortunately, that's what often happened at those facilities, didn't it? That happens. Um, so I guess what was life like for individuals when they were there? It, it was, obviously they were doing some farming work, but yeah, like what, how'd they live, I suppose? It was a very, a very dull life, mm. but at the same time, it was a very safe, it was, sure. you know, once, once again, we had, things were provided for people. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, they had they had groups come in to provide entertainment. Mm. Um, you had and uh, entertainment and activities. You had during the '30s the Works Progress Administration had volunteers who would come in. You'd have the people from the local grange and the uh, the scouts and um, the women women's Christian Temperance Union. Sure. Would come in, and um, a lot of times the in, inmate, well, the inmates and the residents. I keep on finding myself switching between the two. Yeah, you know, they had card games going on. They'd play cards. They had the women would would sew um, and actually make a lot of their own clothing. Sometimes they just spent time walking around the grounds, and because really there wasn't much to do, you're. About a mile away from the city, there was no city of Valeria. You know, there's mm -hmm. not much to do out there, and fairly isolated. If, if, if you're not farming and you're not cleaning the house, taking care of the yeah, it's not not, not much, much else. Not much going there. on. Did did they did people kind of come and go from it? I, we I know we said that some people definitely had died, had died there, but yeah, there, there was, was people. It was people came, stayed for their lifetime. Some people were able to work their way out. Mm. Uh, might might have gotten a job in the community, uh, and and got transportation back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, they might have been able to work their way out. But but it does seem like it was kind of like a permanent. Yeah, like, some 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 of them. For, just, yeah, for most. Some of them just ran away. Oh sure, sure. I mean, they weren't really locked up necessarily. No, no, <laughs> you no know. they just walked off. And, just Never were from again. Who knows what happened to him? You had uh, you had uh, some railroad tracks about a mile and a half north, and you had them south. Mm -hmm. Who knows? It's a lot of people would get on those railroad tracks yeah. and just disappear <laughs> so, after all. Yeah. Do you have any? Are there any stories of like like or notable stories about people or like staff or residents? <laughs> I, I know there's some interesting ones in your book. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. In the state of Ohio, probably the, the most famous uh, person that came out of a uh, infirmary was uh, Annie Oakley. She came oh, right. out of the Dark County Infirmary oh. out in Western Ohio, over by the Indiana border. You know, Annie Oakley. You know, of the late eighteen hundreds, the Buffalo Bill Wild West show. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, mm -hmm. she was probably the most famous in the state of Ohio. However, <laughs> Lorain County Infirmary, we had our own individual notoriety. We had Colonel John Ramsey. Oh, really? Yeah, Colonel ah. John, Colonel John Ramsey, huh? um, probably one of Ohio's most in, in, infamous mm -hmm. institutionalized citizens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no, 
there was a lot of speculation exactly how old he was when he died, but uh, it was estimated you know, he was over 107 years old. John Ramsey was born a slave in Kentucky near the Cumberland River. Uh, he was hired on to work steamboats on the Ohio and the Mississippi rivers. And uh, with the help of a Quaker, uh, he escaped mm -hmm. through the Underground Railroad and made his way to Canada, where he worked on a farm up there. After a couple of years, he enlisted in the British Army and uh, actually fought several battles in uh, what was called the Papanow Rebellion of 1837. It was an Indian insurrection that mm -hmm. some historians believe was actually initiated by the United States. <laughs> Um, Definitely possible. <laughs> it was suggested that that's where he he got the name Colonel. Mm -hmm. We don't think he was officially recognized as Colonel, but it was a nickname that stuck. Mm -hmm. So after his discharge from the Canadian, well, the English Army, because <laughs> it was part of Canada at the time, um, he joined a Methodist group and turned to preaching. And he found himself in Buffalo, New York. And uh, from Buffalo, he found his way to Oberlin, Ohio. And mm -hmm. he actually was one of the people that helped build. He was a brick bricklayer also, who helped build First Congregational Church in Oberlin. And uh, you know, between building the church and and preaching, he got the nickname Deacon. <laughs> so again, he's got a nickname Colonel. He's got a nickname of Deacon. So, but the interesting piece about Colonel Ramsey was, you know, back in the eighteen forties. Ohio law permitted uh, black males to vote if they were considered to have a predominance of white blood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in 1842, on Election Day, Colonel John uh, went into the voting uh, polling station to vote. And although he had very dark skin as an African-American, mm -hmm. you know, and with supposedly a high degree of white blood in him, mm -hmm. uh, he was challenged by a well-known white citizen and prominent Democrat, but he successfully argued that he was as white as he was. <laughs> and the crowd in the polling station were actually cheering. So Colonel John Ramsey voted for the first time in his life. But you know, John, Colonel John Ramsey's his fame was, was not based solely on on escaping slavery and fighting, you know, fighting Indian rebellions in Canada and, and building a church and, and voting for the first time. And, uh, mm -hmm. But he was also, he had, he, he dealt with prejudice mm -hmm. and based on both age and race. As soon as health began, be, began to fade and, mm -hmm. and he was diagnosed eventually with weakness of mind, uh, you know, dementia, dementia. Yeah, dementia. Yeah. So eventually he found himself at the infirmary and that's where he died. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't know whether he was born, whether he was buried in the infirmary or in the infirmary cemetery or not. Mm -hmm. And there was newspapers that reported on his death from, from the Eastern seaboard to the Rocky Mountains and all the way down to Atlanta. So Colonel John Ramsey, our most famous yeah. resident of the Lorain County infirmary. Yeah. I mean, he, what a story. It's, it's, he had a life. It's, it's, of great difficulty and challenge, but it's kind of interesting to know that he ended here. I mean, just a few miles away from where yeah. we're recording right yeah. now. Yeah. It's, you know, somebody that kind of well-known. Yeah. So I did read something about a, um, a, a scandal with, it looked like it was something about funding with the um, directors in the early 1900s, Prindle and Forbes, I believe. Were the yeah. Names. Oh yeah. 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 That was around 1906. Mm. And, uh, uh, they got in trouble and, you know, it, everybody loves a good political scandal. Oh, well, yes. um, directors Forbes and Prindle were actually indicted by the grand jury, Warren County grand jury, uh, after an audit that revealed uh, a couple of different things that, uh, that there was farm equipment, uh, that was sold, but not recorded and the money was used for their own expenses. Mm. And two, there was money from a gift from a, a, a fund, the Hamilton Fund, um, of almost $4,000 that was designated to be used for luxuries for the residents. It's quite a bit of money, too. Yeah, but they also uh, suggested that over $3,000 was drawn for was drawn up for private use. Ah. <laughs> so, indicted by the grand jury, the case went to trial. Uh, 
The prosecution's key witness was an expert on infirmary operations, and mm-hmm. because he was the former director of the Wayne County Infirmary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his name was Eskert. And, you know, being a, a former director, he had a good working knowledge of the problems that confront management of the infirmary and the, and the details of work on a poor farm. Mm-hmm. Well, the defense attorneys argue that the money was simply left to the directors to purchase items for the residents mm-hmm. and not to be a part of the general fund. So it became a big trial. There was multiple attorneys involved. So it was up to the judge to decide if it was a public fund or what kind of fund was it. Mm-hmm. The case was eventually decided in favor of the county, but Forbes mm-hmm. and Prindle um, eluded any further legal action. Ah, they got away to some degree with something, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. The Prindle and Forbes indictment and scandal was not the only scandal the infirmary had to deal with. Mm-hmm. There was other charges um, made during that time of uh, monies uh, not being funneled out to uh, people who were actually in need of it. Just like today, how our social service agencies like to uh, uh, try to keep people in their homes, uh, mm-hmm. there was an effort along the same same uh, theme uh, back then too, and it was called Outdoors Relief. So if you had a family that... Uh, kind of uh, their finances were kind of on the wrong side of the ledger for a little bit and needed some money just to get by and, and maybe get themselves out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, money was there for it. Well, the directors were not uh, dispersing it like they should. So that hit the papers. Then there was another uh, scandal that hit the, hit the newspapers about the concern of the infirmary taking care of foreigners. Mm. And there was actually headlines that hit the Chronicle. There was another scandal that hit the infirmary with the headlines in the local paper declaring many of them foreign-born. And uh, that was based on a lot of European countries were sending their aged and their sick to the States Mm -hmm. and to be taken care of. Reports showed that 10% of the immigrants coming in through Ellis Island were actually 65 years or, or older. So, Forced emigration was definitely a thing. And so there was a senator from Vermont named uh, Dillingham who published a report mm-hmm. called uh, the Dictionary of Races and People. And the report mm-hmm. focused on immigrants working in the mining industry and manufacturing prisons Mm -hmm. on U.S. farms, in charity wards, hospitals, and even brothels. And the the concern was that they were taking jobs away from Americans. Sound familiar? Familiar, yes. Um, (laughs) uh, So actually, uh, the... Reports out of the infirmary show that actually in Lorain County Infirmary, 51% of the residents there were actually of foreign-born, mm-hmm. of, of foreign birth. Sure, sure. So it was kind of a scandal that rocked it. Again, the, you know. At the same time, you kind of expect that in yeah. a lot of ways because they were forced out of their homes and they didn't have any money when they came here. Maybe couldn't speak the language too no. well. That's been tough. It would have been probably impossible in a lot of cases for some of those people. I can see why that would be a... Scandal, especially if you're paying money for that, and locals might not like yeah, that so yeah, much. When, when it's public tax dollars, you gotta must be for those who paid. Yeah, it's, it's exactly, and, or, or those who the who paid designated. Yes, that's part of it. What were, I guess, some of the then successes of the infirmary over the years? Because I mean, it did last for a century there. Well, I think the farming operation was mm-hmm. was was a big success. Sure. Uh, you know, again, you know, to become the fourth largest potato grower in the, in, in, <laughs> yeah. in the county. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it did serve a purpose it, it, and they did well with it. You know, what, it's ta- what, it, what the folks there were tasked to, to do. It provided, it provided sanctuary. And, I, and that was the purpose. It was successful. They were successful with their attempts. Again, you know, it, it was not, there's not a lot of, excitement dealing with 
such institutions. Um, not very glamorous. No. Um, you know, when I was doing the research, I had a hard time finding photographs uh, mm -hmm. to use in the book. And it made sense because, you know, people take pictures of parks and, and, mm -hmm. and, and beautiful buildings and, 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 and events going on in the parks and, you know, whether it's baseball games or whatever, you know. The, the happier times. The happier yeah. times. Very and really, again, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of happy times at the infirmary. No, it's a social service organization. You know, it's there are people that are you're not going to be taking a lot of pictures. Not going to be taking a lot of pictures. No. Not too exciting. No. But you know, at the same time, something that 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 was that happened then that you don't see now is the infirmary. When you look at what pictures they do exist of it. Mm -hmm. It was a it was it was a majestic looking place. Mm -hmm. It was a red brick building. It was a couple stories high. It's about 120 feet wide and about 50 feet deep on the main building. And there was a there was another wing that was uh, like 75 foot long and and you know, about you know again 40 some feet wide. It's a very stately looking place. You had. Mm -hmm. Uh, large windows in the front. You had um, gabled roof. You had uh, a beautiful, beautiful entryway uh, into it. You went up the steps. The, the steps were guarded by two white columns with a, a canopy atop with a, a leaded glass door in the front and just a beautiful looking thing. Uh, circular drive in front with hedgerows. And, you know, you get inside, you get through those those leaded doors, and the first thing you saw was a, a magnificent staircase leading up to the second floor. Mm -hmm. uh, the the floors, the hallways in that first floor uh, had beautiful rug rug runners, and that's actually where the uh, where the superintendent and his family stayed mm. on site. On site, mm. and however, you get up to the second floor where the residents live, there's a little bit of a different story. Yeah, but true. but but. As magnificent as the building was and how it looked back then, the philosophy of building government structures mm -hmm. was the more elaborate of structure, the more it showed or they thought it showed the care mm -hmm. that, the, that the public body took in its Features. It was. It was the image. It was an image. Image. Yeah. Today, the paradigm for construction is cost. Cost and utility. You yeah. look at, yeah. Mm -hmm. You look at public buildings today. They're pretty bland. Oh yes. They're not ornate. No. Because today's leaders want to show that they're good stewards of the public dollar. Mm -hmm. So it's a different thought. Whole other philosophy. Whole yeah. different philosophy. So mm -hmm. again, you go fall back to the sadness and the darkness mm -hmm. of the institution itself and the facility itself. But you look at the it was a magnificent looking the place. outside. You, you saw that with prisons. Yeah. In the era too. Yeah. It's just beautiful yeah. buildings. Beautiful. But it's abject horror inside. Yeah, exactly. This was hopefully not quite like that, but no, it was no, definitely a it, sad place. It was sad. It was it was a hard life for those people. It was a hard yeah. life. It was yeah. the folks had a hard life before they got sure and they had a hard life after. Yeah. It was and that's probably its biggest success is it at least maybe alleviated some of that, even yeah. though obviously there's different ways of treating <laughs> epilepsy yeah. and things like yeah. You know, which are now medical issues. and Yeah, but he, there again, at least with the epilepsy side. It and, was and, 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 you know, those folks eventually mm -hmm. were, were were transferred out mm -hmm. of the infirmary and into uh, facilities in the state that were designed yeah. to, to, to help. The uh, epileptic, epileptic Hospital in Gallipolis mm -hmm. was a fine institution. And with the, the mentally retired, the developmentally disabled, mm -hmm. down in Holmes County, you had Apple Creek and a lot of... Mm -hmm. Older folks around Lorain County will remember hearing of Apple Creek, and it was a, it was a nice facility that sure. uh, that over the years I think they I think I saw one time the numbers they treated like like a hundred thousand individuals mm -hmm. across the state, so that was a success. You yeah. know they were able to 
like get, care, get care. care and help for those who 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 needed it. So, um, in the same way with with mm-hmm. with another uh, another grouping of people that 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 found themselves in the infirmary uh, to no fault of their own mm-hmm. were the children. Oh, sure. And because sure. you had you had children who were who found themselves at the infirmary who. The parents could not take care of them. You would have unwed mothers who gave birth in the infirmary. And mm. basically, the children were kept for a couple of years there. And then they were uh, sent to different orphanages, one Green Acres in Oberlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was also in, in Norwalk and in Cleveland and mm-hmm. across the state. It, it was dark. It, it, was, mm-hmm. it was kind of a sad thing. Mm-hmm. But at least they had, again, were provided shelter. It, it was that early that early like welfare and yeah. assistance that you know, like today we look at it and think, Oh my, but at the time that was by far the best thing oh, that yeah. they had. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier about the, um, um, the dead room or the, the dead room, right. Mm-hmm. With the coffins. And, and what about, so there was a cemetery on site, you said. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when the infirmary, the, the, the first date it opened, uh, in 1968, it was in like December or something. 1868. 1868. Yeah. <laughs> first day of admission, they had the first death. And I don't think they really planned oh, at that point. That, yeah, the first day. Oh. I, they didn't really, I don't think mm. they really were prepared for that. And so see. that individual was, was buried on the grounds. Mm-hmm. And so we're about the next 15, 16 or so. Uh, when you looked at the, re- at, at the registries, it was noted for them that they were buried in parentheses or in quotation on the farm. Mm. Well, they eventually designated a, a area of land there on the farm uh, as a cemetery. It was it was to hold uh, 72 burial plots. It's on up um, on the northern part of the of the property, surrounded by hedges. So designed for 72. And in my research of all the registries, mm-hmm. I found about 216 wow. uh, identified burials in the cemetery. So, you know, were they stacked on top of each yeah. other? Were they spread out? Yeah. Who knows? And when I say who knows, I say that because there were never any markers. Yeah, I was going to say. Never any headstones. You know, if you've ever been down to Athens, Ohio, and um, mm-hmm. where the Athens Mental Health Hospital was... Uh, was called the ridges down there. Uh, their cemetery has uh, headstones uh, with numbers, no names, only numbers. Mm-hmm. Our Lorraine County firm didn't even have that. Mm-hmm. When the Lorraine, when when the fir- when infirmary closed, you know, late sixties, and the county jail was built in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had heard stories of during the excavation of the jail. That uh, actually human bone had surfaced sure. in the excavating process, and so um, it tends to suggest that you know mm-hmm. a lot of those bodies were simply buried on the farm somewhere not in a, in the designated yeah. area. Because mm-hmm. we is it still? Do we know where it is? Like is it still? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's still a visible. Yeah. 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 You you have to know where it is, mm-hmm. it, it, and it's it's in between the county jail and the. Uh, other the Lorraine Medina Community Correction Facility they've got there. I think they deal primary, primarily with uh, more alcohol and drug related low um, low risk low risk nonviolent um, stuff. Yeah. Nonviolent, but it is located there. I'm hmm. I'm sure that the if you were to know where it's at, you were to walk back in that area, you'd probably be under the observation of the sheriff's department. I was going to say it's <laughs> so um, would, law enforcement would be watching you. But, not quite um, accessible. But, but yeah, uh, but it it yeah. is still there. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, it's still there. You just got to know where it's at. Mm-hmm. I guess if they found stuff building, they they buried them where they buried them. They buried them where they buried them. Yeah. Well, that happened a lot in those. Just I mean, if they had three times as many burials as plot, like designated yeah. plots, there's, yeah. there's got to be. They yeah. probably had no choice. Yeah. I would imagine. There was, wasn't there something about grave robbing I read about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some kind of odd yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, mm. grave robbing, that sounds pretty morbid. It's, it's pretty morbid. <laughs> it, it is pretty morbid, but after the Civil War, 
there was a a a in, at medical schools mm-hmm. in the United States. There was a a, a surge and yeah. a need for doctors. You know, the United States was growing. Ohio was growing. Lorain County was growing. Absolutely, and we needed more doctors and and medical schools. The better medical schools uh, were provided corpses to practice on sure. to learn dissection. Sure. Absolutely, and it became such a competitive business that, and at that time, Ohio law was very strict about who could procure corpses for yeah. experimentation. Sure, that schools would actually turn to called the called a black market sure black market yeah. and uh so yeah we had grave robbers uh they uh you know how people want to have a title and, and a name mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. grave robbers was kind of a uh kind of a, a, a negative sounding name so they called themselves resurrectionists there you go <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's two instances of grave robbing mm. at the infirmary cemetery in the late 18 in the 1890s mm. um the first one um uh the sheriff was alerted uh to a potential robbery and on infirmary road they found a uh, uh a couple of guys with uh on a, with, with a uh, with a wagon and mm. in the wagon there was a long box and there was mm picks and shovels and when the sheriff first confronted them they said that they were actually uh, the box contained chickens well they kept on mm-hmm. interrogating them come to find out sure enough they did steal a body mm-hmm. and the other one was um three gentlemen in a two in a two-seat wagon uh were apprehended by the Elyria police department uh mm-hmm. as they rounded the corner on west avenue onto broad street and again, they admitted to having a body there. There was a veterinarian in Elyria who, a, a Dr. Moisey, who served as the uh, as the broker ah, yes. of the bodies. Mm-hmm. It made sense. He was a doctor. Sure. He was a vet. But sure. So, yeah. Yeah, there was great Browning. I'm, I'm surprised there wasn't, wasn't more in a lot of cases. I'm surprised there wasn't more either. Yeah. And there might have been. I think there's the only two that I've run. Those are the ones that got caught and those documented. Those caught. That yeah. is true. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty common, I guess, especially in that post-war period when they needed yeah. when they, the medical field. And it made sense. It, it makes sense why they needed bodies. It's, sure. It's just, you know. Definitely an illegal way to go about doing that. You know, it's kind of hard to learn through a book. Uh, <laughs> yes. So definitely a necessary thing, but... Too bad it went that way. So what, I guess, what happened to the infirmary in the end? Like, why did it close? How did it close? You know, several reasons. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, it, you know, it, it lasted almost a hundred years mm-hmm. and it became very expensive to, mm-hmm. to maintain. They were having to replace roofs and boilers and, plumbing and it was one thing after another uh the commissioners did try to find other ways to possibly pump money into it to um uh to keep it going uh there was you know keep in mind with that working farm you had you know 150 some acres there and mm-hmm. the ohio department of uh natural resources suggested suggested that they actually opened it up for hunting for a fee uh, in hopes of bringing dollars in. Uh, commissioners at one point discussed uh, uh, transferring all the residents out to uh, nursing facilities and, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, turn it into a, 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 a prison. Mm. Uh, at that point, uh, Lorain County was, their jails were full, county jail was full, and they were actually uh, shipping Lorain County prisoners out to Toledo which would cost the commissioners monies to, sure, to sure. do. So there was talk about turning it into a prison. But, you know, and then keep in mind at that point, now we're in the 60s and Social Security is doing well. A lot of different systems now A lot of different place. systems yeah. in play. And, and, and uh, there was a push to get them back into the community again. So uh, finally, uh, it came to the point where they realized they had to close up. Yeah, and so the 
the remaining uh, residents were transferred to what was then called Pleasant View Sanitarium, which then became Golden Acres in mm. Amherst, yeah. uh, which just recently is you know has been closed down, and commissioners mm. are looking at selling that property. But mm. so they so eventually they auctioned off all of the all of the um, uh, infirmaries. Assets, all the furniture, all the farm equipment, it was all sold off. Residents transferred, and it was shut down. Shut down. But you know, yeah. one one interesting piece too that was that where what what could have been was the property that the infirmary sat on was actually considered as a possible site for Lorain County Community College. Oh, really? Because it it. When when huh. they wanted to build Lorain County Community College, again, and this fits back into why the infirmary was located where it was at, mm-hmm. the college had three things in mind. Again, they needed acreage, which they were asked between 100 to 150 acres, which the, uh, the infirmary met, met that qualification. Mm-hmm. They were asking that it be central to the county, which the infirmary fit that. Mm-hmm. Criteria mm-hmm. and it have access to it, and again, you know, you've got state routes above and below it mm-hmm. to the north and to the south, uh, to the west, you had Route 58, to the far east, you had 57. Uh, however, it was uh not approved, um, mm-hmm. and as a result, it ended up at uh on Abbey Road there, the border of the Lurian Sheffield. But yeah, it, it, it could have been it's one of those Lurian County Community College could have could have been where the infirmary and the county huh. jail is today. Yeah, that would have been very different, wouldn't it? It, it would have been that way, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's arguably maybe a better location, too. And, you know, now there's, you know, I know the sheriff today, mm-hmm. he would like to build a new jail. You know, where that's going to go, who knows? I'm, I'm hoping it remains on the same property. Mm-hmm. And if it does remain, uh, one thing, and I, I, I get to see, I, I, I run into the sheriff quite often in that mm-hmm. I'm also a township trustee for Carlisle Township. Mm-hmm. And at uh, uh, different events, like a county township association meeting, we I run into the sheriff quite a bit. And that's one of the things I really want to talk about is that when the time comes mm-hmm. and if the medical building is in play for the for demolition mm-hmm. for a new jail, uh, we got to get that hidden document out of there. You, you got to preserve what you can yeah. out of the, these like vital bits of our community's history. I was, yeah. I, I got into Definitely. the medical building mm. and was able to, uh, I got permission to get inside. This is, you know, eight years ago when I was mm-hmm. working on the book. Mm-hmm. And um, today it, it, it's, it's a disaster. It's, it's got, a, it's, it, the windows are busted out of it. Uh, there's more doors and desks from other uh, county buildings that ended up be in there for storage. They might be able to think they might be able to use them. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the front door is deteriorating and environments could probably get inside it. But sure. you take away all the all the deterioration of it. It was a beautiful, beautiful in, inside. Mm-hmm. The beautiful tiled floors in the in the in the in their uh, multi-purpose room, I'll call it, just a beautiful sandstone fireplace. Mm. These bifold doors that they had, and I don't know if bifold is the right word, but uh, folding doors, you know, mm-hmm. stretched out across to form a wall. Uh, they were probably 18 feet high, about three inches thick. So each panel was probably about 30 inches wide. Solid wood is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Just a beautiful thing. But yeah, you can see what it was yeah. in some ways. So, well, that's I what... know, once again, if it gets torn down, I'd like to make sure we get that document out of there. Oh, yeah. And well, and even even just document the building, yeah, you know, take photos of what it what it is now, so at least you know. And I'm I'm you know I don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be seventy years old pretty soon, and my birth my at my next birthday. So you know, I, I, there might be a point I might not be around. So mm-hmm. this recording we're doing right yeah. now, and the and the book that I've written, if I'm not around, I'm hoping that somebody will be able to follow up and. And and, and, yeah. and make yeah. sure that we get that document out and, and, and get the story told. Yeah. Well, and hopefully the 
you know, the township and the historical society, you know, they'll be able to get the word out and, yeah. and get it done because, you know, they're, you know, the, the people are the ones, us, us, we're the ones who have to preserve things and, you know, do what we can yeah. for that. Yeah. Are there any other things you want to share about the, the infirmary that we haven't <laughs> covered already yet today? There was a story in the Lurie newspaper, I think it was the Lurie Republican, around the early 1900s, 1905, 1906, uh, had a really cool headline, and I've memorized this headline. It was, <laughs> Adversity's winter winds have no effect on love. Two aged inmates of the Lorraine County Infirmary nearing the end of life's romance. <laughs> what, what, what that was, there's a story about this couple by the name of Van Hawn, and it was actually a kind of a riches to rags tale mm. uh, worthy of a Hollywood script. And, you know, for those who have you ever seen the movie, the notebook? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great show. My, one of my wife's favorites. I, I can deal with it so much, but <laughs> yeah. Um, anyhow, the Van Houghtons, Van Houghtons were a young couple that of Scottish origin that the friends, friends and family said this relationship is just doomed. That it's gonna, it's gonna be an unhappy match. Even the the wife, her mm -hmm. name was Ellen. It was Robert and Ellen Van Houghton. Even Ellen's parents opposed the marriage. Well, the two eloped, and uh, Robert eventually founded a, a store in Aluria that was a tobacco store. Mm -hmm. He did very well. Uh, at one point, uh, his net worth was for the time, considerable amount of money. And they're pretty well off. Well, uh, the Van Houghtons got used to that type of lifestyle. And, and Robert Van Houghton, he he decided that he was going to, you know, his business did so well in Lurie, it's got to do even better in Cleveland. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so they they moved the business out of Lurie in, in Cleveland. Well, the Cleveland market was a little bit different then, mm. than the Luria market. And, and the tobacco store struggled. And also at the same time, uh, Robert Van Houghton was dabbling in real estate and uh, things didn't work out well for him. Mm. And they actually ended up having to close the tobacco store in Cleveland. He, they lost a lot of money in their real estate speculation and had to move back to Elurio. Well, the loss of the money was just too much for Ellen. Mm. And uh, uh, she became what they called enfeebled. And since they had no money, she was left to the, be in a charge of the county. Mm -hmm. And she found herself at the Lorraine County Infirmary. Mm -hmm. Well, being unable to care for his wife, because he was up in age now, Robert was, but he was still capable of finding a place on his own. Mm -hmm. Robert talked to infirmary authorities into letting him stay with his wife. Hmm. So they did. And at the infirmary, the life for the Van Hattens, Van Houghtons, was pretty dull, pretty mon <laughs> monotonous, but they were together. Hmm. And for four years, Robert spent most of his time hmm. with his wife, Ellen, in just a plain room where Ellen would always sit and stare at the floor. And even at the age of 77, I believe it was, Robert's mind was still clear, but he would only say a few words. And basically they were how Ellen was doing. He might say, Nellie is feeling better today. Or if, if she was having a bad day, he would say, Nellie's not feeling well today. And in which case, you know, he'd find himself also just staring at the floor, crying to himself and anticipating the end. The article that I read about him, it concluded that he was devoting the last of his days of his life to her service, remembering that day when he met her and, and took her to the altar and against the will of her parents <laughs> and how he promised to love and protect her until death should part. And Ellen made it one more year and she died. Robert uh, lasted for four more years and he also died. And they're both buried in Luria now. They're not buried at the infirmary, but they're buried in Luria. And... Um, Again, it's to me, it's, it's a Hollywood story. Yeah. It, it it parallels the movie The Notebook. That's how I what I see it as. But I thought it was a cool story. It's yeah. Well, it's it shows you like the humanity. 
than what yeah. that place meant to some. Yeah. That was the last, you know, the last years of his life with his wife were there. And shows the importance of those kind of places. Well, thank you very much for talking and sharing all your stories and your expertise about the, the infirmary with us today. Uh, well, sure. You know, it's been, it's been great. You know, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for inviting me to do this. And, you know, I, I, there's one thing I'll leave you with. And, and there was a, there's a poem written by a gentleman in this in the 1890s. His name is Will Carlton. And the, the poem that I recognize is, it's called Over the Hill to the Poor House. And it goes, Over the Hill to the Poor House, my children, dear, goodbye. Many a night I've watched over you when only God was die. And God will judge between us, but I will always pray that you shall never suffer the half that I do today. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, Jared Smith, for joining us to discuss the history of the Lorain County Infirmary. Remember that if you are interested in reading Jared's book, Just a Place to Stay Out of the Rain, A History of the Lorain County Infirmary, 1868-1967, you can check it out from the library. For more local history content, check out the Grafton Midview Public Library's collection online at gmplibrary.org slash localhistory. If you have a question for us or a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, or if you want to participate and share, email us at postcardsfromgrafton at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>